Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are in our Reclaim series, and this one's called The Complexity of Our True Selves. The question for you to get started with today is, what person in your life sees the truest version of who you are? Enjoy. In life, I think we move from simplicity to complexity, and then we move to simplicity again. And what happened for me is when I became a pastor 10 years ago this August, there was like a very specific idea in my head of what a pastor is supposed to do and what a pastor is supposed to look like. Um, And part of that was you were supposed to be incredibly unhealthy, which was very interesting to me, right? We worked really horrible hours. Uh, We were always coming in when it was dark and leaving when it was dark. Most of the pastors I knew had really bad family lives, uh, really poor relationships. They were busy helping everybody else, but they couldn't help themselves. And then the other unique thing about most of the pastors I knew is that they were really overweight. That we couldn't drink. I was always told you couldn't drink in public. You could just drink secretly. That was always a fascinating one, right? Um, But we would eat really unhealthy and all of the time. And I remember buying like 72 ounce big gulps of soda, but then going to the time where like, we were starting to do like Diet Coke big gulps. And you're like, that is not good, right? (laughs) That there's all these ways in which we were coping with our lives uh, instead of digging into the complexities of what actually made us human. Because you're trained in theology and in biblical studies and all these like philosophical thoughts so that you can have the absolutes about how the universe is black and white and people can come to you for some answers, my friends. And then you start meeting with people and you realize this thing called the human experience is so big and so diverse and my own experience, my own complexities are so diverse. And I caricaturized this a little bit, but there was this process for me where I began to find health as I stepped into my complexities. And how I found my health was through Dr. Dale, my friends. Dr. Dale was my chiropractor. And for about two years, I had these horrible stomach pains where I would end up in the emergency room. I didn't know what was going on. They wanted me to change my diet. Uh, They were saying, you know, you're just clearly too stressed. I got like colonoscopies and endoscopies. And if there was a place they could put a camera, they put it uh, to find out what was going on. And 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 no matter what, I wasn't getting healthier. And so finally, someone's like, hey, check out this chiropractor, Dr. Dale. And the first time I met this guy, I'm like, this guy is like a voodoo doctor. I have no idea what's going on, right? He would like touch a part of my body like, oh, your kidney's hurting, isn't it? I'm like, how do you know? (laughs) (laughs) What is happening right now, right? And the more that I went to him, he started uncovering these layers of my health And I started changing my posture. I started sleeping better. I started changing my diet. And then he would start to do these things where I'd be like, I had a bad night of sleep. And he would like hold my fingers and he'd be like, imagine yourself at two years old. Imagine yourself at three years old. He's like, what happened when you were five with your mother? I'm like, how do you know? (laughs) Right? His, like my body was responding to things in a really profound way. And he at first was like, Here's like the evangelical-ish pastor guy. I probably like can't do certain things with him because he'll like run out of the office. But eventually we got to the point, I'm like, 
I know you do weirder things. Let me in. <laughs> yeah. So one day I'm there and he's got like these like tuning bells over my belly, just and I'm just like, I feel so much better. But I'm like, I know you have more. So one day I'm like really stressed and I'm laying, oh yeah, this gets good. I'm laying on his table and we're like, we're doing the thing. I'm like, okay, I'm eight years old. I'm a little boy, I'm on my huffy. Like, you know, it's kind of crazy right now. And he's like, I can feel this energy. Can you feel that energy? No. Yes, of course, Dr. Dale, right? And he's like, it's going to Bakersfield. What I need you to do right now is you need to like bring out your scissors, your imaginary ones, of course. And we're just gonna, we're gonna cut through this and just free yourself of this thing. And we're being like, what the hell? You know, start doing it. And then he gets out these eagle feathers and just starts burning them over me. And I'm like, what is happening right now? <laughs> and I kid you not, to this day, I've never had stomach issues again. I have no idea what happened to Dr. Dale's office. And I don't know if it has as much to do with eagle feathers being burned over me, but what he taught me in that period of time is to be in my body, to move from this cognitive space, to begin to experience emotions that I hold in my gut or in my shoulders, or that when somebody stresses me out, uh, the ways that I carry it. And then eventually that led me to like running for the first time, right? Jason Ippolito's in back. I'll always remember like the first run we went on through the Seco. Like we went maybe one and a half miles at like an 18 minute pace. And I thought we were going to die, people. <laughs> like literally die. And it just, it began to unwind all of these layers of now I felt my body, now I wanted to be healthier, now I wanted to eat just a little bit better, now I started going to a psychologist, now I got deeper into a 12-step program, now I went here, now I'm here. It just kept unraveling the layers that started with this little moment of health of saying, there's a little bit more complexity in my life, and if I'm going to heal other people, then I have to heal myself, and I have to go deep within and begin to analyze all the different components that make me me, and that was a journey of years and years and years and $10,000 and years <laughs> to come out the other side into a new simplicity of a different kind of healing, to have let some of these things settle. And now that these are the practices of my life where I can no longer drink 72 ounces of Diet Coke because the Lord knows nobody should do that, <laughs> right? Um, and all these other layers have uncovered of what is simplicity and where are we going, and what's my truest self, and I needed that thing to be called out in me. And so with that said, well, let's look at Luke chapter 8. So they arrived, being Jesus and his friends, in the region of the Gerasenes, across the lake from Galilee. Uh, if you're getting yourself into the story from 2,000 years ago, a bunch of things are going on right now. You know that Jesus is in this Gentile area, so everything that Jesus is in is generally this Jewish area. Sometimes in the Gospel of Luke, a lot of times, Jesus goes into the Gentile area, and so we always want to cue in what is happening when God is in the God-forsaken places. How come people find healing and liberation, right, and freedom uh, in the places where God is not supposed to be. If you know a little bit more about this area right here, you know that this is a militarized zone. So this is an area that is heavily occupied by the Roman military. So people are oppressed. This is like if you've been in San Diego at a hotel on the beach, it's beautiful, but planes and helicopters are flying over your head the whole freaking time, right? This is what it's like for these people. There's always the reminder that the Roman legions are in town and that they are your oppressors and you do not mess with Rome. So Jesus is getting off of the beach, right? Getting out and he is entering into this highly occupied area in a very Gentile area and Jews don't often go to these places. So you're set up for what's about to come. 
As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. The same word for possessed here is also the word for occupied. There's like this military language that's happening here. He is occupied by these demons, and we're going to get to what these demons are here in a little bit. For a long time, he had been homeless and naked, living in a, uh, in a cemetery outside of the town. So this guy is not only homeless, so he doesn't have a place to lay his head, he's isolated. There's this imagery a little bit for you of like Genesis, of this person is naked, which means he's shamed, he's got nobody around. He's also living in a cemetery. And if any of you were good Jews 2,000 years ago, which none of you are now, uh, you would say, oh, he's living among the dead. We are breaking some Levitical laws here, my friends, and that is not okay. So so we are in a militarized Roman occupation zone where the Gentiles hang out and they don't have a lot of God going on for them from the Jewish perspective 2,000 years ago. There's a homeless, isolated man who is living with dead people. This person is quite lonely. His story is quite complex from whatever's going on in his life and to the entire systems around him that are making his story complex. The Bible is very uninteresting if you want to have a story about events that happened 2,000 years ago in biblical times. The Jesus story gets very interesting when you say, oh, this is a story about the human journey. This is not a story about 2,000 years ago. This is how followers of Christ find themselves in these narratives today, which is why they're narratives and not lists of rules to say, you too can probably find space within this demon-possessed man of your human experience has found yourself here somewhere too, and will unravel some of these complexities in just a minute. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him, and then he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Again, a lot of us were trained when we were younger that when someone is talking about Jesus as Jesus, Son of the Most High God, we think purely in like spiritual, theological, or religious language. But you have to remind yourself, there's already this Roman military industrial complex story that's taking place here. And Jesus being called the Son of the Most High God was also a phrase that was given to Caesar. If you remember back to your Christmas stories when Jesus is called the Son of God, part of the reason for that is a political story in which Caesar Augustus was called the Son of God because Jews Julius Caesar had conquered Rome, and he was the divine, gave his empire to Caesar Augustus, his nephew, and so now Caesar Augustus is the son of God. So Jesus is now getting credit for something that Caesar was called. This is scandalous, right? I'm in the military industrial complex, but I'm saying there's a different son of God in town, and it's not Caesar. There's a different son of God in town, not the kind who brings his legions in to occupy and to oppress people, but this son of God frees people from these legions, free, frees people from this oppression, frees people from the systems from the very top all the way to the internal systems that are within every single one of us. Please, I beg you, don't torture me, for Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. This spirit had often taken control of the man. Even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. Jesus demanded, what is your name? Legion, he replied. Again, fitting into the narrative and the scene that's already been set for us. For he was filled with many demons, and the demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, more language of something that is unclean. Also, one of the local Roman legions that was in the town, their mascot was what? A pig. Very fascinating. What's going on here? 
Um, and the demons begged him to let them enter into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission, and then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down, st down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. Again, if you have an ancient Jewish mindset, you're reminded of another liberation event in which the Pharaoh's armies and the Pharaoh's right legions, so to speak, were drowned in the waters. So there's all of these connecting points in the stories of where there is this God who frees people from pharaohs and from Caesars, from military industrial complexes, all the way to the unique demons that each and every one of us have in our own oppression. The stage is being set for what takes place. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside. Spreading the news as they ran, people rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and, perfect, and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people in the region of the Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone. For a great wave of fear swept over them. So Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. And the man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him home saying, no, go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. And an important reminder in the Gospel of Luke, somewhere in the 20th century, the church got lost in the debate of battling with science, that we needed to prove that Jesus's miracles were literal so that we somehow had this stance or authority in the world because science was, we felt like was taking away some of our ground, which was never the point of the stories. Jesus doesn't heal people for the sake of medical miracles. Jesus heals people so that they can go back into right relationship in their lives. The medical miracle, the freeing of the exorcism was just an opportunity for what? For the man to go back to a home that he was not allowed to go to. For the man to return back to maybe the simplicity and he lived in a complex world and goes back to a home, goes back to some family, goes back to some relationships that he had been ostracized from and isolated from. And that's the work of Jesus crossing those boundaries. So he went all through the town proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. So if we're going to talk about this, we've got to talk about a few things. We've got to talk about burning eagle feathers. What do you do that? That's great. Uh, demons 101, because everyone's favorite subject on a Sunday morning is some good demons. Uh, we're going to talk about some layers. Then we're going to talk about resistance. And if we're going to talk about resistance, then we're going to talk about systems that we have. We're going to talk about getting into a restoration cycle. And if we can talk about a restoration cycle, then we can truly talk about our true selves. So we start with simplicity, and then we live in this complexity in our lives where there's all kinds of things going on, and hopefully we come out the other side with a little bit more clarity. We talk about this in here all the time of, you started in a certain home at a certain church with a certain set of beliefs, and everyone was German Baptist, and the uncle down the road also made cabinets. Am I right? Right? But we also have our own version of that story, right? I grew up in Castle Pines. Most of the people I knew were white. They lived in very middle-class America. And if you didn't belong to the country club, what was wrong with you? I grew up at, right? We all have our narrative of this is what normal or this is what life looks like. Then you go live a little bit, right? I always say the sophomore in college, now where you know all of the answers that your parents don't know now, right? 
and you are questioning the entire universe. You're going through deconstruction. Some of you right now are sophomores in your faith and on your human journey. You are challenging the simplicity that was given to you, and you are saying, I just have more layers than that. And now I'm dealing with the reality of what can I still hold on to as I question all of the systems, the layers, the factors that make up who I am. And some of you are a little further along where you've began a process of reclaiming and reconstruction and picking some stuff up. It's not that the complexity's gone, it's now you have the ability to see and experience and deal with the complexity in a new way. And you've entered into a new path of holding some things while letting some other things go. And that's the reality of what's going on in this story as well. But before we do that, one of the things I need to talk about is just how do we understand demons in a place like Los Angeles in 2018? One of the things that we do in a negative way when we talk about demons is we use bad theology for anything that is unseen. We use that with God and we use it with demons and we do a lot of cause and effect. So what we begin to do is if things are going well or things aren't going well, we tend to want to blame it on something outside of ourselves. So in the demonic language sort of thing, at least I grew up in the context where someone would say, oh, well, that's Satan trying to get me. Or that's the devil out to this. Anybody was there? There we go. Some of you like did a quick hand up and quick hand down. Yeah, don't really want to talk about that one all too much, right? But what's dangerous about that is be being a pastor and being even just somebody who loves church tradition, most of the time when the scriptures are talking about the demonic, most of the time that when we're talking about evil, what we're not talking about is this personified thing that is outside of us and that is controlling things behind the curtain in a bad way. What the scriptures are trying to get to through an ancient lens is something internally that is happening to you. I can't tell you how many conversations I've been in where someone's like, the church hurt you. That's not true. Your youth pastor hurts you and you know your youth pastor's name. Oh, well this thing, all cops hurt me. No, that's not true this cop hurt you and you need to know their name. And we need to keep working through that process as we deconstruct things because how we want to name the demonic in scriptures is you always want to name, for, this is from the Exodus series that we did, you want to name who Pharaoh is, you want to name who the demons are, you want to name the actual internal things that are going inside of you. And we always start with the internal and then we can talk about external factors. But we always have to begin from the place of what are the internal things that are painful or hurting or broken inside of myself first? And I don't want to just name and put blame on something else that's outside of me, which I don't even know what that thing is. That's just not going to get you very far. All right. Uh, and then sometimes if we carry that language and we talk about the evil or the negative or the bad in the world, then we begin to also do that with God. And yet the whole movement of the scriptures is trying to get you from moving from secondhand information about who God is or that God is somewhere out there to this reality of, no, you are the temple of God. The spirit of God is within you. Right? We say it in here all the time. They were asking Jesus all the time, where is this kingdom you speak of? And Jesus says, the kingdom's inside. You keep looking externally for all of the problems for the world or wherever God is, but it's this endless journey of going to depth in ourselves and having the ability to observe and see what's going on here, whether that's positive or whether that's negative. So when we think about the demonic, first of all, think about it, not as you have like exorcism, poltergeist demons within yourself, but just really naming the demonic as something of we have misses in ourself at times. 
We have systems from the outside that have affected pain within our insides. We have family systems, government systems, psychological systems, relationship systems, addictive systems, you name it, that has happened somewhere in our lives that affects internally who we are and how we operate. And those layers add up, create a ton of complexity in us, and it can feel like an occupation at times. It can feel like a possession at times that we cannot be freed from these things. That, right, to this day, if you mention something about my aunts, right, it reminds me of Thanksgiving tables and them telling me about the blood moons and when the rapture is going to happen. Um, and that's just, it's just something that gets triggered within my insides. And that's just like a very small story of other painful stuff that happens in all of our lives that get triggered. But we're not trying to name that thing out there. That's not my aunt's issue. This is my issue now. This is my ability to find healing from whatever weird theology we're talking about at Thanksgiving and how that's affected my internal life. That's not to say that we can't be hurt or have pain for the external things, and we'll get to that as we move forward in a little bit. But we need to name what demons are in the Bible so we don't get lost in something that it's not. Now I want to talk about the layers that are in all of our lives. This man had a bunch of layers going on, which is perfect because we have a bunch of layers going on. There were political layers. Again, this was a part of a military industrial complex where this man lived, where he was oppressed by the Roman government. How many people in our culture right now feel oppressed by government? Well, I've got a hand in the back, I like it. There you go. How many, we have layers going on where this was in this man's body. How many people in our culture right now feel oppressed because of systems or people or structures that have affected how they view their body, that have affected how they view themselves? There's a reason that we have marches. There's a reason that people in England and Scotland are marching right now, right? When our president comes to town. There's a reason that people are marching about Me Too movements. There's a reason that people have been marching about Black Lives Matter. We can go on and on down the list because there are layers of external systems that have affected the internal reality that you live with each day. You have layers of family structures. Jesus was reconciling and restoring this man so that he could go back where? Home. And how many of us, the most painful place on planet Earth has been home? Or the church we grew up in? Or mom or dad? And Jesus is reconciling towards that. Or there's religious layers and systems and structures that have pained us. And where does Jesus send people to? So that he, go, that he will go proclaim things about God. That Jesus is sending this man who has been oppressed by religious systems, who has told the man that he's not allowed to live freely in his culture, to say, go tell everyone that this God does not oppress. This God does not make more boundaries. This God is not a God who's trying to limit you because of all the internal demons that you may have going on. This God is not obsessed with the moralities of this world like the religious systems are obsessed in your culture. So what am I going to do? Free you to go experience this God. So where I want you all, where I want us all to stop right now is to be able to name in some capacity the layers that are inside of us, the things internally that have gone on over the years where we feel occupied, where Jaron's beautiful story, right, of this is when I discovered about something about myself in an encyclopedia, and I held this secret for 10 years. How many of us have, have, have that story, regardless of what it is? I never thought anyone would know me or accept me or love me or care for me or see the truest version of who I am. 
And if I ever shared that with anybody, then I would never have any freedom. And yet this Jesus story is, I'll take all of the layers, my friend, and I still want to reconcile and restore you into the truest version of yourself and so that you have true relationship with others and true relationship with God. And if we can understand the layers, then we also have to understand that there's some resistance in this story. You'll notice that each step of the way, that for the man individually and for the systems that surround him, there's resistance to freedom. There's resistance to health. There's resistance to transformation. And there's resistance to healing. Let's always take ownership with ourselves first. I'm a part of a 12-step program and have been for years in my life. Many people who enter into 12-step programs, the thing that they're most scared of losing is what? Their addiction. Because that addiction has been a comfortable teddy bear for a long time in their life. And I would rather dance with the demon than have to go move forward into the unknown health that I've never experienced before. Because this is how I learned to cope. This is how I learned to deal with my mommy issues. This is how I learned to deal with the pain in this world, by dancing with these demons. And I understand that you're offering me a way forward, but just like the man, I am terrified that Jesus may actually free me from that. Because then I might have to confront the real pain and the real stuff going on. You say it all the time, when it comes to an alcoholic, the issue is not alcohol. That's just the manifestation of the deeper issues that are going on. And whatever the thing for you is, there's a manifestation of something that you're experiencing, but it's probably not the thing behind the thing and the reality of what you're actually experiencing. And there's probably a lot of times in your life, even have you ever had this one, I'm gonna start working out, how much resistance do you experience when you change that diet? Look at those guilty smiles around the room, right? <laughs> Sometimes when we move towards health and transformation and maturity, it's really painful. But there's also resistance in the systems. Are we experiencing that right now? We live in a world where there are two tracks moving forward at full speed. There's tribalism, nationalism, and fascism, where there's a lot of powerful people on planet Earth who have said, this is the way that we experience things in the 20th century, and we happen to be the most powerful people the world have ever seen. And quite frankly, we don't really want that to change, right? They might not say that in a malicious way, they might not say that in a negative way, but there's a reality that the world is turning into globalization. There's a reality that there are people marching for all kinds of different things. There's a reality that there was a black president and that scared them a little bit because even if we're not malicious, change is terrifying. And on the other side of things, there's globalization and there's freedom and there's all these different people groups because of technology who are able to say for the first time, I'm human too and people around the world are experiencing that freedom. And those paths are not happening separately. We interact with each other every single day. And so the reality is there's resistance as, as we move towards freedom, there will always be resistance from a systemic place. And sometimes there'll be resistance even from the people closest enough around you. And what you'll probably experience if you have enough opportunity for empathy and to humanize even your oppressors is to realize they're not even trying to be malicious. They're just so scared of a different world. They're just so scared of experiencing something different than was the norm of the simplicity that they grew up with. So if we can understand these layers, then I think we enter into a restoration cycle, which is something practical that I want to leave us with here today. And it's this reality. I was reading this book this week. It's a business book called The Go-Giver, and it's a really practical book because the book through each section and each system that you get, it basically says, go apply this value today. 
Because if you don't apply this value today, you're probably just not going to apply it at all. Which is what I love about the story with Jesus, is this man gets healed and Jesus is not like, you got healed, go to Fiji. No, it's you got healed, go apply the reality that you got healed into your life right away. Go enter into the tough restoration and reconciliation work that needs to be done. I always say that with an asterisk and caveat, if you're going to cross boundaries into a place where people are gonna hurt you more, of course you shouldn't do that. And you should find a spiritual director, a therapist, a pastor, some good friends around you so you don't continue to put yourself in positions that will continue to hurt you. Let's name that. If you found some healing and you're capable of doing it and you're ready to do it and you think that the group you're going to enter into is not gonna punch you in the face again, then go try that conversation out. But one of the ways that you do that is you gotta name it. Jesus names the demon. You gotta be able to name the actual things that are going on in your life if you want to experience freedom. And what's interesting is you might begin to name that issue as just some stomach issues that you had to go get an endoscopy for, and you're gonna find out five years down the road, how did he know it was that thing that happened when I was five? And so the process of naming it, be aware, it's gonna open up some other complexities for your life. And be willing to engage those complexities with people around you and with other professionals who can support you through those complexities. Because the gift that you have for the world after you name it is that after you work through some of these complexities and you come out on the other side, there's no better person equipped to help an alcoholic on planet Earth than an alcoholic. There's no person better equipped to help somebody who's been raped on planet Earth than somebody who's been raped. There's no, we can go on and on and on down the story, right? It's why we share these meet an interesting person stories up here all the time, uh, because there's no better person equipped than when you hear your story and somebody else and you say, me too. I'm not alone in these complexities and in these layers and in these structures. And somebody else has named these demons and maybe I can begin to name them in myself as well. And if you name it, be prepared to put a practice behind it. Maybe a practice is journaling. Maybe a practice is finding that spiritual director. Maybe a practice is having a conversation with somebody who you trust. Maybe a practice is actually getting into community. Maybe a practice is just signing up for the CrossFit gym. I don't know what it is, but once you name it, the sooner we move towards action steps that put us towards a new practice means that it gives us a sooner step to getting towards new rhythms in life. New rhythms take years to develop. And so we have to begin somewhere, even if it's small, even if it's just a thing manifesting on top, so that we can uncover the legions of demons, so to speak, that are inside every single one of us. Not to say that we're all like, you already, if you've been to New Abbey, you know this. We do not proliferate this idea that you start as this sinful, horrible, depraved human being. We believe the good news is the reality that you are blessed and that you are good and that you are made in the image of God. And God is genuinely and honestly reconciling the brokenness, hurt, let's call that thing sin in our lives. But we're not starting from the place of, I'm so bad, I need to go help, get help. No, you're starting from the place from, I'm blessed, I'm loved, I'm a son or daughter of the divine and this God enjoys me. And I too want to enjoy myself. So let's deal with some of this shit so that I can enjoy my life to the fullest. And then if I can name some things, put some practices behind these things and allow that restoration cycle just to keep happening, right? Then I'm gonna name some more things. I'm gonna develop some new practices. Then I'm gonna name some more things. And then I'm gonna develop some new practices. Eventually the really beautiful thing about this is if you can begin to see your true identity and be gracious to your complexities, then I promise you this, 
you're going to be able to meet other people all the time, and you're going to be gracious to their complexities. And you're going to be able to look them in the eye and say, that's not my thing, but I got my thing. Me too. And let's do this work of healing and health and transformation and maturity together. And a component which overlaps all of this, which is why I'm here today, right? The reality of it is, I believe that Jesus still has a crucial role for us in this story. I believe that the posture of this man when he confronted Jesus originally was a ton of resistance. I think the posture as the man leaves is the truth of then. I've used a lot of 12-step this morning, but after you admit that your life is powerless and unmanageable, you recognize that I need something that is bigger than myself. I need a higher power. I need whatever. Uh, I call that thing Jesus. That's how I name that thing because I experience the fullness of God and the fullness of what it means to be human through my encounter and experience with Jesus. For so many people in this room as you're reclaiming that and that thing may give you like the heebie-jeebies or whatever, I don't care what you call it right now. Just trust that the divine, that God, the universe, the whatever energy you need is on your side and wants to free you from those complexities. Not like magically take them away because that's some really bad theology, but say, I'm going to walk with you through the crucifixion of these things. I want to walk with you through the suffering of these things so that on the other side, we can find some true freedom. We can truly find ourselves and then we can begin to see the true selves of everyone else around us in the world. Let's have some further questions to finish out today. What's one internal demon you can name? And what's a step you can take to address it? That is not a light question. (laughs) So I want to take a minute. Let's just sit in silence. Take a breather. Maybe there's some things that you're not ready to name in a room with a bunch of strangers. That's normal. Maybe there's some things you're like, I got to say this thing today. Uh, But take a minute to own that in yourself and then we'll, we'll bring us back together. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey Podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.